0: Welcome to On The Money, where you can find out anything and everything to do with finance, business and the economy. On The Money is broadcast live from the studios of Radio 2 SER in Sydney, nationwide across the community radio network. I'm Roderick Chambers and coming up on the program this week...
1: So having an inquiry that looks at the causes of the pandemic and how to manage it would be really important uh, for dealing with future pandemics and uh, be a really good opportunity for... China to take some leadership, uh, you know, on the international stage.
0: Australia-China trade took a hit this week with barley and beef exports stopped by China. However, the trade move appears to be more political, as China signals its displeasure at Scott Morrison's call for an independent inquiry into the origins of the coronavirus. Also on the program?
2: They're looking to support businesses in this position um, because there's a lot of... um, there's a lot of unknowns out there at the moment with lenders as well on the, from, from the lender side. So, yeah, it, it's, it's quite challenging, but refinancing is always, is always an option.
0: During the coronavirus crisis, many people and businesses have availed themselves of the opportunities to have a moratorium on their mortgages and loans. But does this just kick the can down the road? We find out. Stay tuned for all of this and more coming up on On The Money. First, Australia-China relations have been heading south recently. There was a shock announcement on Tuesday that four major beef exporters had had their exports to China blocked. This followed hot on the heels of the barley anti-dumping ban. I asked Professor James Lawrence from the University of Technology, Sydney and Director of the Australia-Chinese Relations Institute why China should be bringing this up now given that these complaints are a year to year and a half
3: old. Well, that's the big question. And don't forget, both of these moves are also off straight off the back of some comments a couple of weeks ago by the Chinese ambassador in an interview with the Financial Review. Um, he warned that perhaps Chinese consumers might start to see Australia as an unfriendly country and might be turned off its wine, beef and tourism and education. So it's hard to escape the conclusion that politics probably has something to do with it. With an inquiry
0: into coronavirus, an international-based one perhaps, wouldn't uh, this be more transparent? And wouldn't transparency be good for China? Because China's an economically mature nation and a world leader. So shouldn't that enhance China's credentials?
3: Yeah, it should. And look, I don't think the Australian government needs to back away from this at all. I think the Australian government is entirely reasonable in what it's calling for. Look, unfortunately, uh, the... With China's involvement with respect to the coronavirus, there's also a massive geopolitical spat happening between China and the United States. And so it seems that um, China is unable to get that out of its mind. Actually, that's drawing the focus of its attention. You have President Trump, of course, labeling COVID 19 a Chinese virus. Um, you have Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, openly spreading conspiracy theories about how it escaped from a Chinese lab. So China's got it in its mind. Um, that Australia is lining up behind the US in this one. Now, I don't think that's correct. I don't think it's fair, uh, but that's where we're at at the moment.
0: Because we haven't actually lined up uh, behind as many of the Mike Pompeo comments, have we? We've been very careful not to comment on those comments.
3: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, we've been very disciplined in our language. Um, in, in fact, uh, you know, our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, has made a number of solemn points, such as the fact that most of Australia's COVID-19 infections uh, have come, more of them have come from the United States and Europe. In fact, very few of them have come from China. Um, so our Prime Minister has been very clear about that. Uh, he hasn't started spreading conspiracy theories. Uh, so this is why I don't think uh, we need to be too apologetic.
0: Uh, some in the opposition are, are saying that the uh the Prime
3: Minister's hand in this has been a little bit clumsy. Would you agree with that? Uh, Look, generally, I find it pretty hard to fault the Morrison government's response, to be frank. Uh, There are some reasonable questions around how we went about uh, pushing for the inquiry. For example, you could argue that we should have assembled a coalition of like-minded countries first. But but, you know, in the big scheme of things, the point of asking for an inquiry, uh, I think that's pretty sensible and what most Australians and populations in many countries around the world would, would be expecting.
0: We've got a free trade agreement with China. Should these sorts of trade issues be solved in, that, in the context of that trade agreement?
3: Yeah, and look, there is some good news on that front. Um, These complaints that China are raising, for example, the ones around Bali, they're proposing putting in place anti-dumping tariffs on Australian exports. Uh, These are actually moves that are being implemented under the World Trade Organization framework and the framework of the Australia-China Free Trade Agreement. So the agreement doesn't make those uh, possibilities disappear, but it does set up a process for dealing with them. Uh, That's the good news. And and frankly, it's a whole lot better than the alternative, um, which is the trade policy being pushed by the United States at the moment, and that is to blow up the World Trade Organization altogether. Um, right now, the World Tra- Trade Organization's dispute resolution body isn't functioning uh, because the US refuses to appoint new judges. So that sort of Wild West trade policy is where we definitely don't want things to go.
0: How long do you think this will go on for? Is the softly, softly approach
3: going to work? Yeah, I feel pretty optimistic. Uh, there's a lot of catastrophizing going on at the moment. Um, I would caution against that. I mean, the reality is is that trade with China is at record highs in terms of the total value. So we do have these specific moves on barley and beef, but even around beef, it's for meat processing plants that have had their um, permits revoked or temporarily suspended. Uh, these only account for about twenty percent of Australia's beef exports to China. In other words, eighty percent of Australia's beef exports are still proceeding as normal, and the broader context of most of the other things that Australia trades with China is still going ahead. So let's not panic and suggest that the entire trade Australia's entire trade relationship with China is vulnerable. That's just not the case.
0: Most people do seem to think, though, that we, our recovery, economic recovery from the coronavirus crisis is going to depend on China. The fact that we're having these problems now does make you feel a little bit unsure, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, I can understand why there's uncertainty and heightened sense of and a heightened sense of risk, but look let 's keep in mind some very basic numbers. Um, the International Monetary Fund says that the Australian economy this year will shrink by six point seven percent now in comparison, it says that China is going to grow by one point two percent so the fact that we have thirty three percent of our exports going to China um, is a positive story for the australian economy i mean let 's be clear it 's much better than the situation many of our peers find themselves in. Imagine being Canada, which has three quarters of its exports going to the United States, which is expected to shrink by 5.9 percent, or the UK, which has 45 percent of its exports going to the European Union, which is expected to go backwards by 7.5 percent. So the Australia-China economic relationship um, remains a positive in net terms for the Australian economy.
0: Getting back to the thing that sparked all this, or apparently sparked all this off, the idea of having an international inquiry or some sort of inquiry, how do you think China would want some investigation of the issue of the starting of this particular coronavirus to play out?
3: Look, I think what it doesn't want is the inquiry to be used as a political tool by the United States to bash China. That's what it wants. And so, look, it's already shown, China's already shown some willingness to get behind some alternative uh, proposals uh, coming from the European Union. So let's hope uh, that we can shift the geopolitics to the side a bit and focus on the very reasonable point, um, which is that we do need an inquiry into the origins and spread of this virus.
0: Professor James Lawrenson from the University of Technology Sydney and Director of the Australia China Relations Institute speaking with me there. I'm Roderick Chambers and you're listening to On the Money throughout Australia on the Community Radio Network. Well, China has been remarkably vocal prior to the trade moves, with the Chinese ambassador being highly critical of Prime Minister Morrison's remarks on the need to set up an independent inquiry to the sources of the coronavirus in Wuhan. He did outline an economic threat with his explicit comments that mainland Chinese students and also tourists may not be as confident in coming to Australia. These, of course, are two hard-hit sectors to the Australian economy. I asked Tim Harcourt, airport economist and J.W. Neville fellow at the UNSW School of Business, why Australia should have been blindsided by these trade moves.
1: There's been a number of uh, issues in Australia around the world where we have these ongoing uh, trade disputes that are pretty minor, uh, but they tend to get parked until there's a major diplomatic flare-up and then they sort of get raised. So when you think of uh, barley, uh, that anti-dumping allegation is about 18 months old. The beef allegations are around, and they're based on technical grounds, are about 12 months So, uh, in many ways, there's always a number of these issues parked at any one time in a trade relationship and occasionally, uh, you know, an opportunistic uh, government might choose to press them when um, they're upset about something that's quite unrelated.
0: Yes, and the unrelated, uh, I, I guess, elephant in the room is Scott Morrison's call for an independent inquiry into the origin of the coronavirus. You
1: know, this view about um, they having an independent inquiry uh, into the pandemic, yeah, you know, that's really in the interest of the Chinese people. Uh, I mean, like everyone around the world, uh, the people of Wuhan have been severely damaged by the pandemic. So having an inquiry that looks at the causes of the pandemic and how to manage it would be really important uh, for dealing with future pandemics and uh, be a really good opportunity for China to take some leadership, uh, you know, on the international stage.
0: This kind of economic gunboat diplomacy does damage particular sectors of our economy when it's going to have a maximum effect. Looking at the rock side of our exports, it's much less likely to be affected, don't you agree?
1: Well, when you look at rocks, when you look at minerals, I mean, you know, you lock in these uh, iron ore contracts for a long time uh, because you need the supply. And if you think about the Chinese economy, even when Wuhan was largely shut down, still production kept going. Even when a third of the workforce is at home, and you know Wuhan's the Chicago of China, so um, it just shows that as China moves from a nation of shippers to a nation of shoppers, they're going to have to keep, you know, energy security and industrial production going. So I think there'd be uh, be rather unlikely that they would want to um, disrupt steel supply, given their needs.
0: I mean, the option, as I understand it, is that the next go-to market would be Brazil to get these sorts of exports. But Brazil is not in a position to do much at the moment, are they?
1: Brazil's been really impacted by the coronavirus. Um, Bolsonaro, their president, uh, uh, was quite uh, disparaging of the issue of coronavirus uh, originally. And now um, Brazil would be probably the worst hit Latin American country uh, compared to countries like Peru, uh, Chile that really shut down the flights very quickly. Uh, so, yeah, they're not going to be a particularly reliable supplier at the moment. And you wouldn't really want to jeopardise, you know, uh, your situation with Australia long term if you were sitting in the in the Chinese shoes.
0: So, so China's really taking the view that we we don't want to jeopardise our coal and iron ore exports because they're, they're our major exports. Uh, do you think they're right, and and should would a trade war be something that we should really really stay away from?
1: Oh, you don't want trade wars. Uh, you don't really want trade tensions. Uh, but at the same time, you know, if Scott Morrison or Maurice Payne hadn't called for an inquiry, it would have been something else. You know the uh, you know the Australian under sixteen under sixteen um, volleyball team visiting Taiwan would be considered by China a good enough reason to. Uh, banned beef exports or barley, so it wouldn't really matter what it was. And when you think about how China's behaving around the world, I mean, they've uh, taken action against South Korea. They've taken action against the Czech Republic. Uh, they've taken uh, action against the government of France because France sent a delegation to Taipei uh, for three days. So uh, when you think about it, um, it really wouldn't matter what it, what it was. Uh, this has been the stance of China at the moment because they're very worried uh, about um, the pandemic, um, uh, the fact that uh, the World Health Health Organization warned them, uh, the fact that they didn't uh, stop it getting out of Wuhan to the rest of the world when they could have. So they're clearly worried about uh, the position they took and um, particularly uh, what the Chinese people would think uh, if they uh, realised what happened.
0: Uh, Some are also saying that uh, the decisions taken to protect our steel industry from uh, dumping from China has also played into this. Do you see it that way?
1: Yeah, look, there's a number of Australian journalists who um, get placed in uh, China and uh, various places in the region and around the world and they see it their role to uh, find everything bad that Australia does. I don't know I don't know what it is. I mean, maybe they think they should put a counter to the official line. Maybe they think they want to show how sophisticated they are compared to the uh, you know, the ordinary Australian community that doesn't see the world quite in a sophisticated way they do. But uh, uh, ultimately, there's been still dumping issues all over the world constantly, and Australia's not the only one to consider that. And there's a mechanism for anti-dumping in the WTO. China was supported... By Australia to go into the WTO, despite opposition by the Clinton administration. So, you would have thought you would have thought there's a way of dealing with dumping of, of anything in a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty orderly matter, without um, threatening um, your dear trading partner. Uh,
0: what should our response be? I, I notice uh, Simon Birmingham's definitely looking at the details of the individual agreements and uh, addressing those issues that China has put up. But we're not seeing any resiling from the comments uh, by the Prime Minister or the Foreign Minister, are we?
1: No, well, I think there's diplomacy and diversification. So obviously Simon Birmingham is looking at the beef uh, beef dispute because China has said it's nothing to do with the pandemic inquiry—it's merely technical issues. So, if it's technical issues, then Simon vermin um, and, and his infrastructure, his team, would be able to deal with that. Similarly, with barley, you can deal with an anti-dumping dispute in a quite an orderly manner. So, you know, so if you take them at if you take them at their word, then he's got the ability to do that, and as well as to smooth it over. But uh, you know, if every time you uh, raise something that's very important and very important to the Chinese people and their health and safety, uh, you get threatened. Well, I'd say you don't keep caving in because um, you'll get threatened some more. So probably better but the better thing is to um, be a very strong, independent global citizen and that's what Australia is.
0: Tim Harcourt, airport economist and J.W. Neville fellow at UNSW's School of Business speaking with me there. This is On The Money, broadcasts around Australia from the studios of 2SER-FM on the Community Radio Network. I'm Roderick Chambers.
1: On The Money.
2: Ride the gravy train with us.
0: Wednesday, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia announced it had received 144,000 requests for deferrals on home loan repayments and nearly 71,000 requests for business loans. Mortgage deferral requests alone are valued at $50 billion. Bankers calling for borrowers to cut short their loan holidays if they're able to amid growing concerns that more businesses and homeowners will default on their loans after the loan moratorium ends. What should small and business medium owners do if they cannot repay their loans? Lani Tindale finds out.
4: Since COVID-19 has forced Australian businesses into lockdown, many business owners across the country have been unable to pay back their loans. I spoke to finance broker Nick Warwood on what you should do if you can't pay back a business loan or make repayments on your mortgage. Thank you for talking to me. Um, As no you know, because of the lockdown uh, situation that we're in, a lot of small businesses are in trouble and businesses of every size. Yeah, um, right. And I know I've spoken to business owners that have various loans, have mortgages, and they're not able to pay them back. So what kinds of steps should people take if they're not able to pay back their loans
2: um, is nineteen business owners generally if you if you can't um make repayments on a loan, um most funders have implemented a specific hard hardship provision package for for business owners uh, and also for homeowners generally um generally this will include like a deferment of payments. they're not really waiving payments, they're just deferring them. Um, which in effect extends the the loan terms to accommodate. Um, But this does vary quite a bit from funder to funder.
4: Yeah. And so what happens if uh, you approach your lender um, and they won't let you defer your loan?
2: Look, so the best starting point um, from an SME perspective the best starting points to um, in, in that case is to sort of prepare a cash flow forecast um, try and figure out a few different scenarios you know good fair bad cases and we've seen this with quite a few of our clients uh, there's there's a lot of software providers out there that are that are linking into accounting platforms and allowing business owners to forecast what what's going to happen what what their uh, what their loan repayments will look like and what their income's going to look like um, understanding where the income's coming from is very important um and and having basically it's having a big picture view on on the business. perhaps you can negotiate with suppliers to extend payment terms, look at negotiating with um with landlords for we or even looking at different parts of of the cash flow cycle and There's different finance options out there. Um, for lenders, uh, we're seeing a lot of a lot of our SME clients are, are actually um, discovering new funding options, and not not only getting them through this this um, difficult period, but allowing them to scale and grow with these new types of facilities out there. And look, at the end of the day, um, there's generally a there's generally a financier out there that'll that'll fund um, these businesses that are in trouble.
4: So do you mean like there are finances that will refinance these businesses?
2: Would you maybe explain that a bit more for you? So yeah, look. So look, and it depends on the t- depends on the, on the client, and there's a lot of different factors in in play. But there's we're seeing a few um, we're seeing a few clients actually refinance to to other lenders that are looking to support um, that are looking to support businesses in this in this position. Um, because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of unknowns out there at the moment with lenders as well on the, from from the lender side. So yeah, it, it's it's quite challenging, but refinancing is always is always an option.
4: What if you look at all your options? Maybe your business wasn't in a strong position to start with, um, and you realise that you're just not going kind to of be able
2: to make
4: mm. your repayments, so you have to default. What happens
2: then? Yep. Yeah. Look, that really depends on the uh, the terms and conditions of the loan contract, the underlying security, how long you've been in default for. So, every every loan agreement is different, and the terms and conditions are really important to understand what they are. So, I so suggest go back into that into that loan agreement and and understand that in detail. Um, generally, we see in the industry there's a a defined recovery process that takes about ninety days, so some lenders will dive straight in and um on day one and when you don't make a payment and try and sell the security that's the 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 the, big, the beginning and the end of it um while others will will work with the business owner or the individual on the issue to get you back on track so different lenders apply um Apply their, um, I guess their, the back end processes on a default differently. Some of them are really willing to help out, others are not. So, what it is interesting under the under this COVID um, nineteen, the government um, the government's actually made some changes to the recovery process for businesses that are owed money and applying to lenders as well. And it, basically, they have it's pushed out for some borrowers. It's pushed out um, that default process for about six months to allow you to work through payment issues but at the end of the day there's uh, if you default on the loan they can they can recover they can sell the asset to recover their money
4: what happens if people are looking at defaulting on multiple loans
2: um, if there's multiple if you have a business owner and you have a business loan you also have a um, a, a personal or a home loan what we're seeing is that is that um, a large percentage of the lenders out there are actually giving those business owners relief, and they and they're also getting the relief on the, on the home loan side as well.
4: Um, is there anything that we can take out of this kind of situation as a sales
2: What we'll probably see is a lot more homeowners will hold more cash in their loans, in their offset accounts, in their Um, redraw facilities to buffer any um, unforeseen um, circumstances in the future.
4: That's Nick Wormwood, the managing director of finance brokerage firm Broke Capital, talking about what business owners should learn from this crisis.
0: Lani Tindale with that story there. This is On The Money. And that's it for us on On The Money this week. Tune in again next week to find out everything you need to know about finance, business and the economy. Thanks to Lani Tyndale, our producer this week. On The Money is produced the studios of Radio 2SER in Sydney for the Community Radio Network and also with the assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find all of our shows and stories at 2 slash onthemoney. You can subscribe to our podcast. New episodes are coming out every week and you can find them on the 2SER app as well. Follow us on Twitter, look for at OnTheMoney2SER and find us on Facebook and Instagram. I'm Roderick Chambers. We're going to be back again next week to give you the inside running on all things financial. Thanks for your company and do stay safe.